covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. I am Matt Pauley. I am your host. And uh, we've got nothing but Brewers talk here for the next hour or so. A lot to get into this week. Our featured conversations, we're going to have Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation. He's going to join us here in less than 10 minutes. And we are also going to be joined by Garrett Green, the radio broadcaster for the Biloxi Shuckers, the AA affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. As we get started, let's take care of our normal housekeeping items here at the top. If you want to get in contact with me, do so via Twitter. That's the best way, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast, I want to leave a ranking and a review. That would be very much appreciated. Subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcast or however you listen to podcasts would be appreciated as well. As we start off this week, I feel like I don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over. I feel like very often... These opening segments, my monologue, whatever you want to call this thing when I open up the uh, podcast, has been kind of focused on trying to walk people off the ledge. And that's not what baseball is supposed to be about, especially when you're a fan of a really good baseball team like the Brewers. Not going to lie, there's, there's some red flags right now with this team. There absolutely are some red flags. The starting pitching, it is not doing what you needed to do. We knew that was going to be something that could be the case when the season got started. The Brewers made the decision to go young. The Brewers made the decision to give some inexperienced guys uh, opportunities in the rotation. And with that, there's going to be some variance in what they're able to do from uh, one start to the next. You know, at some point, some of these guys will probably spend some time in the minors. That's going on right now. Corbin Burns uh, being sent down this past week, and then Freddie Peralta dealing with an injury, but he'll certainly go on a rehab assignment, and you would think that they will uh, definitely utilize that rehab assignment to try to get some uh, consistency there as well. So I guess more than anything else is I want to start off the podcast this week This is an opportunity to watch the future and watch what's going to happen with this team. It's not too often that you have a team that's coming off a fantastic season the way they did last year, a team that has aspirations to you know get that next win, that next proverbial win. Last year, season ends, game seven of the NLCS. They want one more win at the very least, get the National League, and head to the World Series. But they also don't want to run away from the fact that they've got some young guys who deserve opportunities. And when guys have earned opportunities, there are some growing pains that go along with it. I get it. Look, the the Corbin Burns conversation is a really interesting conversation because there's people out there saying, why are you not putting him back in the bullpen? Why would you send him to AAA? Look at what he did last year. Clearly, he would make this team better if he's in the bullpen. And I'll agree with you in the sense that if Corbin Burns is in the bullpen right now, the Brewers are probably a better team right now. But do you want Corbin Burns to be his best self, or do you want him to be somebody that that just goes to the bullpen and kind of fills that role from last year? Not that there's anything wrong with that role, but they want more from him. They, they, They have expectations that he can do even more. So you send him to AAA and you give him the opportunity to work on things. If you keep him up at the major leagues... 
yeah, he can work on some things and some bullpen sessions and, and times like that. But for the most part, when he's pitching in games, he's got to pitch the way he pitched last year. And there's going to be uh, – you're not going through an order a second time, maybe a third time. Uh, you're not going to be forced to use all of your pitches. By going to AAA, he's going to have the opportunity to work on the things that he needs to work on. It's a really rare thing, and I feel like sometimes we forget this. It's a really rare thing for a young pitcher to get to the big leagues and just stick in the big leagues, just stay there, and have all kinds of success and never get sent back down. Generally, there's some ebbing and some flowing with guys coming up and down. I mean, that's the reason you have all those option years. It's one of the reasons, not the only reason. Uh, But it, it certainly is one of the reasons. Guys are going to go up and down a little bit, especially early on in their career, especially with pitchers. So it's going to be, uh, I'm enjoying kind of watching how this thing is going to organically turn. You, know, you, you have a situation where a couple guys go down, Chase Anderson moves into the rotation at least for one time through. He looked really good. He looked really, really good. What's he going to look like that next time out when he has the full rest and everything else? Is he going to take a step forward? Is he going to take a step back? I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, but on Monday, Adrian Hauser is going to make his first start. He worked out of the bullpen a little bit last year. He didn't make the club out of spring training. They sent him to San Antonio. They they stretched him out. And now and he put up great numbers at San Antonio, and now he's going to have an opportunity to make a start. So let's see what these guys do. And at some point, in time, even, if, even if Chase Anderson continues to pitch really well, even if Adrian Hauser looks really, really good on Monday, uh, especially with Hauser, Adrian, um, uh, Chase is a, a, a veteran, so he doesn't really fit kind of the, the category of guys that I'm talking about right now. But we are going to continue to see uh, a bit of a roller coaster with these young guys. I'm not saying I'm against going and getting a Gio Gonzalez. I'm not saying that I'm against going and getting a Dallas Keuchel to be able to, uh, to have some stabilization in the rotation. Uh, we, we still don't know what's going to happen with Jimmy Nelson. There's absolutely zero timeline at this point on Jimmy Nelson. We don't know when he's going to even uh, report to what we would assume to be San Antonio to start the rehab. Uh, I do know, and I'm, it's not just me being this blind loyalist and blind follower of everything that the Brewers do, but I think you can. I'm big about track records, and I talk about track records with players all the time. Well, players aren't the only ones who have track records. General managers, owners, managers, they have track records as well. And I think you can look at the track record of David Stearns under the, the leadership of Mark Atanasio, who has been willing to open up those purse strings when needed. And if this team needs to acquire something, if this team needs to go make a move, they still can do that. I don't completely understand why people are completely freaking out about this and we have not even reached... May 1st. I'm doing the walking off the ledge thing. The thing I said I wasn't going to do, I just heard myself do it. Here I am once again trying to walk you off the ledge. The point of my uh, opening monologue here as we get things started. Young pitching. There's a lot of variables, man. There's a lot of variables. Guys are good one day. They're not good the next. Guys go down to AAA. They come back up. They look good. And it Something goes wrong, and they have to get another stint at some point. I mean, it's just it's a thing that ha- it happens. And you know why? Because it's hard. It's really hard. It's hard to be a Major League Baseball anything. It, but it's, it's certainly hard to be a pitcher in the Major Leagues. So, I don't know. Have fun. Watch it. See what's going to happen. 
These guys, whether it's a Adrian Hauser, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, these guys potentially are big, big, big parts of the Brewers' future and the Brewers' immediate future. You know, the one big difference from last year's playoff run and previous playoff runs, the last two prior to that, is last year it didn't feel like the door was going to close when the season got over. felt like the door was staying open. And part of the way that you do that, part of the way you sustain winning, part of the way that you sustain success is by developing young players and giving them opportunities. Is it the best possible situation in the world when 60% of your starting rotation is very, very inexperienced? No, probably not. But the Brewers have faith in them. Brewers have faith in the the organization from a coaching and a development standpoint. You know, de- player development doesn't stop the moment you walk into a major league clubhouse. These guys are still being developed. So enjoy it. That's all I'm saying. It's at times it's gonna be tough. You know, we've we've seen some bad starts, and we're gonna see more bad starts at times from some of these guys. It's just the way things are. All right, we'll get to our headlines of the week coming up in uh, just a moment. And then after that, our first featured conversation with Adam Rake from the Brewer Nation. And then after that, our second featured conversation when we go down on the farm. And uh, we are set to be joined by uh, Garrett Green from the Biloxi Shucker. So that's all coming up on this week's Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week. Mike Moustakis is a little bit banged up. He has a small fracture at the tip of his right ring finger. He injured himself on Saturday, did not play on Sunday. Team is hopeful that he will not have to go on the injured list, that the pain will go down a bit, and that he will be able to uh, resume play. But that is not a guarantee at this point in time. Mentioned at the start of the program when we were talking about pitching, Chase Anderson and the nice job that he did in his first start. Well, he's going to stay in the rotation for at least one more start. He is scheduled to uh, start again coming up on Friday when they take on the New York Mets. Mention all the moves that are being made. Corbin Burns sent down to uh, AAA this past week going to the San Antonio Missions as he had been somebody who uh, in his most recent start wasn't very good. Gave up just two home runs, not three like he'd been given up, but it was probably you would have taken what he did in his starts before that as opposed to that one because uh, he just he wasn't sharp. So an opportunity to go to San Antonio, try to uh, clean some things up. They've moved other guys uh, up and down over the course of the past uh, week. Uh, individuals like uh, Jake Petrushka, Aaron Wilkerson, uh, Donnie Hart have been either up or down. As right now there's going to be uh, some flux in the bullpen and you get the sense that this is going to be a normal thing. Like, we don't have to go over all the transactions for each one of these bullpen pitchers because there's a pretty good chance by the time we tell you you know, who went down earlier this week that those guys are back up uh, when you're listening to this. Uh, Adrian Hauser is being called up on Monday to start, as we mentioned. Don't know what the corresponding move on that will be, but there is going to be uh, a corresponding move. And uh, there's been some other rumblings and rumors out there in terms of uh, things that might be happening. So uh, it's a... It's turnstile right now, especially when it comes to the bullpen and the different guys that are uh, going to be coming in and uh, going out, and that's just kind of the way uh, things are. The Brewers are not unique in that, but it's certainly something that the Brewers are pretty good at doing. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. 
Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It's time for our social media conversation. We welcome in uh, one of our favorite folks to uh, talk to. He is Adam Rigg of the Brewer Nation. He's doing this on Easter Sunday night. We are very appreciative of that. Adam, happy Easter. How are you? Happy Easter to you as well and to everybody else out there listening who celebrates. Um, it, it, it was a good weekend, you know, a good day for me. I uh, got out with the family a little bit, played a little uh, baseball at one of the parks near my house. So uh, all things considered, uh, I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. Let's, uh, this is odd. Like This Brewers team has had a really tough schedule to start the season. They've won all but uh, a couple series this year. Uh, but there, there's obviously some red flags. Uh, starting pitching, you look at the starting pitching ERA, it's not good. Uh, relief pitching, when it's been good, it's been really good, but there's been some times where it hasn't been great. I feel like that's kind of been on an uptick recently. They're still not getting a whole lot of production from Jesus Aguilar, from Travis Shaw, even from uh, Ryan Braun. So there, there's obvious red flags about this team, but there's... It, they're they're playing pretty good baseball. So before we even get anything to specific, how would you assess the way things are going at this you know April twenty first mile marker point of the Brewers season? Yeah, I think the first thing I look at is you know going into the season when the schedule came out last fall, we all kind of saw this month of April, this stretch of even you know the opening series in March, this stretch of games against very tough opponents playoff caliber opponents and or teams that always play the Brewers tough. Well, you know, if you want to argue whether or not St. Louis is playoff caliber, I think they are, or whether or not they make the playoffs, you know, I don't think that tells you whether or not you're playoff caliber. Um, but then the Cubs, the Dodgers over and over with the Dodgers and the Cardinals for crying out loud. And just, you know, we saw the stretch of games coming and yeah, you know, certain guys are off to slow starts, but at the same time, I kind of, I'm kind of looking at that like there's, good pitching on these playoff caliber teams for the most part and good pitching can get good hitting out very often and i'm hoping that's all that's going on with some of these brewers being off to slow starts is that the quality of competition is raised and you know it's hard to get going and get into the groove of a season um if you're facing tough uh, opposition, you know, the, in this case, we're talking about hitters facing pitchers, but it works the same way uh, as well with the Brewers pitchers. The Dodgers' offense is stacked. The Cardinals' offense is stacked. The Cubs' offense is stacked when everybody's healthy on all these teams. Even the Angels, you know, they went out to to LA on that the front end of that uh, the front leg of that road trip, and they got their butts kicked a little bit. Uh, you know, a game and a half without Mike Trout, but there's talent on all these teams especially on the offensive side of all these teams. And the Brewers are treading water, making do. You know, the record is where it is right now, a couple games over 500. You know, I think percentage points-wise, they're not first in the division anymore after today. As we record, the Pirates are up there, I'm pretty sure. But we're doing – I think the Brewers are in a position that everybody would have been happy. It's one of those things where – you know, at the end of the season, you say, you know, you're getting into September 1st. If I told you the Brewers would be two games out of first place on September 1st, you'd have taken it no matter how we got here. I think it's one of those things where the Brewers are doing – the results are what they are. But at the end of the day, at the end of this month, if we're in a position that we would have been happy with when this month started, then I think that speaks volumes for the talent on this team and their ability to rise to the challenge. Yeah, they're not winning all the time. Yes, Yelich is carrying the offense certain nights, 
and like you said, some nights the bullpen is on, some nights they're off. Um, I think that's a not to get too deep into that sidetrack, but I do think that's a very big result of the fact that when you have to go to four or five bullpen arms on a given night, you raise your odds of finding somebody who doesn't have it that yeah. night. So, you know, that's Albers had the one three run inning against the Dodgers the other day, and that was all the runs in the whole game, and the Dodgers went three to nothing. So it's, it is what it is. But I think, long story short, um, if the Brewers come out of this stretch in a pretty good position, I think that is going to have a positive outlook on the rest of the season. People, and I'm talking to you, I know this isn't about me right now, but people who listen to me have heard me say, I'm a big believer in every single time that bullpen door swings open, the chances of you winning the game goes down because the chances of bringing in a pitcher who's just having a bad day goes up. It's you know you bring in six, seven relief pitchers, and that's an extreme case. There's a pretty good chance that one of those guys is not going to have a good day. And I, I don't understand why that's maybe not something that's more thrown out uh, around baseball. Just uh, the the amount of times you have to go to the bullpen uh, being a very big indicator of whether you're going to win or lose a baseball game. Because to me, that's one of the biggest indicators that it is. You you don't want to keep going to the bullpen because every single time it opens up, you're, you're gambling that the guy who's coming in is going to have a bad day. Exactly. Uh, you know, if if you listen to any, and I don't know if you have time to, honestly, with as, as much Brewers coverage as you're locked in on, but if you have time or the listeners have time to hear some of the national, the, the other teams, not the national guys, but the other teams, local broadcasters, especially if they have a uh, former pitcher in the booth, you know, giving color, those guys will, I hear them talk about it a lot, where they say, you know, it's another risk. You know, The bull, somebody's going to be off tonight. I heard it uh, just the other day. I want to say I was listening to the Mets game, perhaps it was. Um, that's not important. But it, it's exactly what it is. You run the risk every time that somebody's going to be off that night. You know, and you can go from a Jacob Barnes looking great, you know, a couple of games in a row here. Earlier in the season, you know, there was a game where he and Taylor Williams and a couple other guys, they all got knocked around a little bit coming out of the bullpen. It just that wasn't their night, and Barnes has you know had a couple of good nights here, just as one example. But yeah, it is you, you raise the risk every time because Josh Hader, look at his example the last couple of times out. He proves that every every reliever is human. Everybody's going to get got once in a while. Um, for Hader, you know it's awful that it's been two of the last or his last two times. You know, two of the last three games out for the Brewers, but. Uh, everybody's going to have those stretches where they're not going to be at their best. You know, Hader had that last year for himself. He didn't give up a lot of runs in that stretch. You know, I think it was late August. Maybe it was early August. But he had that stretch where he was far less effective, and everybody's worried about the All-Star game. And, you know, did everything that happened at the All-Star game get into his head? Or, you know, did he not get enough of a break? And the, we had all those conversations, and then Hader locked it back in, and he was dominant, you know, down the stretch and into the playoffs. So it is. It's a risk every time the bullpen door opens. I agree with you 100%. Uh, and these guys that the Brewers are relying on for some of those middle relief innings, they aren't as consistent as Jeffress, Knable, and Hader were in 2018. And that's just something that's the reality that they have to deal with right now. Of the three kind of middle-of-the-order position player guys whose averages are under 200 as we talk on Sunday, Braun, Aguilar and also um, and uh, Bra I, I don't even remember what I said Braun Aguilar Shaw. and Shaw thank you uh, yep. of those three guys and I'm a big believer in 
guys with track records eventually kind of come around. And clearly, I think Braun has the the most the, the the most track record of any of them. I think Shaw's track record is pretty good. Aguilar, you can you can argue in one direction and say, look what he's done over the last two seasons. You can argue over the other side, saying, well, two seasons ago he wasn't an everyday guy. Last year he had a great first half of the season. The numbers came back to earth after the All Star break. So where are you from a concern level with those guys and is it is it are we deep enough into the season where it is legit concern or for you are we still early enough in the season that still falls under the category of small sample size uh we're certainly starting to to normalize the numbers as as you could say but um it's still early in the season these guys have plenty of time to to turn things around yeah it's hard to raise your average when you're under 200 you know this deep into a season um but a couple of hot weeks and things will start to look a little bit more normal i think a guy like shaw to go through one two three uh shaw's been banged up he's been hit on the hand a couple of times you know that affects your swing and and he was having problems before that as well and a lot was made about his efforts against lefties in spring training um, so he's, I think he's been working hard and he's grinding a little bit. You saw after the Thames three run home run on Sunday, uh, Shaw popped up and he chucked his bat away in disgust. He, he's just that frustrated. I think right now in the moment, you'll never hear that from him, you know, in, in a post game, uh, media conference, but, uh, he's just so frustrated in the moment when Braun hit that home run, I think it got the monkey off his back a little bit. These guys need a couple of moments where they come through. You know, Aguilar, uh, what was that on the road trip? He had uh, the big RBI double uh, and the big uh, multi-RBI game. So it's those moments that you want to kind of capture and build on, you know, confidence-wise. But Thames is earning himself more playing time for sure. Uh, and as the big half of a platoon being the left-handed hitter, Aguilar may have to, you know, get himself back to his basics that got him to the job last year. Uh, the league has made adjustments. He needs to adjust back. But also... You look at Aguilar missing pitches down the middle of the plate, you know, the middle of the strike zone, uh, belt high that he would just annihilate last year, even when he was in his rough patches in the second half. So I think he's in his own head a little bit, he, but he's a good enough hitter, uh, positive, positive enough guy uh, attitude-wise, but I think he's going to be all right. Uh, the, the only one that I'm most interested to see if it continues is Braun because he made those swing ch- adjustments over the offseason. Um, the spring seemed to go pretty well. He got off, you know, he's had multiple home runs of, you know, multiple three-run home runs. I think all four of his home runs are three-run home runs uh, so far this season, um, if I'm remembering correctly. And it's, is his bat in the zone long? I haven't had enough time to look at, you know, and I'm not a scout by any means, but I haven't had enough time to look at any sort of a video uh, recap of his swing for comparing with this year to last year. But is his bat in the zone less because he's trying to, gain launch angle you know are there things that he's doing is he trying to uh, to cheat to a ball you know all these little things you can break down and analyze that i won't you know bore everybody with minutia on the podcast here but is there something significantly different enough that he may have to abandon if his batting average suffers too much um because what he's going for of course is to start getting this hard contact over the defense but if he stops making that hard contact then it's not worth the changes you know in my opinion quite possibly in his, I would assume. Um, but he, he wants to obviously maximize the hard contact he was generating last year. So if he's able to do that, great. You know, if the average needs to stay around 250 to get that, you know, 
loft and, and to get that the home run tick and the, the, the runs batted in and all those things that come along with it, okay. You know, you can deal with a little bit less batting average. You deal with a little bit less batting average on lots of guys that are trying to generate more power. Uh, but if he's able to harness in-game situations, the change that he felt so strongly about this winter, it's going to benefit the team. So it's, it's absolutely not time to panic, uh, I don't think, on anybody. But I do think Thames is earning himself more playing time, whether Aguilar was struggling or not. And the fact that he is, then we're going to see a little bit more of Eric Thames in the lineup. Uh, and it is it is something to watch with these guys as we get later here into the season. I'm comfortable with a straight righty-lefty platoon with Thames and, and Aguilar, and I think we're pretty much in that place right now. There's going to be people out there that as long as Aguilar struggles, are going to say, why isn't Thames in there more? For me, I think the Brewers have done a nice job here of putting Thames in positions where he can be successful. And, you know, we've seen, man, we have run the gambit with, with Thames with, from the, the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. And he's one of those guys for me that I think it's really important that the team does put in positions to succeed. So there's going to be people out there that call for him to be the everyday first baseman. I think I would pump the brakes on that a little bit and it'd be more about the Brewers finding those spots where they feel like he has the best chance of being successful. What say you? Uh, I certainly think that you need to manage any player that way. Uh, a guy with strikeout tendencies um, in Eric Thames, uh, guys that can be taken advantage of by certain types of pitchers. Uh, you never want Thames starting against a lefty, and, and if there's a team with a a tough left-handed bullpen option or multiple left-handed bullpen options like the Dodgers, um, you're going to want to swap them out if they go to a lefty. That kind of thing. You have to have your guys ready to go, um, like tonight. You know, it wasn't a switch for Aguilar. Aguilar ended up playing third base afterwards, but, you know, you had things on the on the bench to come in and, and take that swing as a left-handed hitter. So picking and choosing your spots when he's available off the bench uh, it totally makes perfect sense. That's exactly what Craig Council should be doing as a manager, um, uh, trying to put his guys in those best positions to succeed. But I think that if you're having th- – because look at the games Thames have started this year so far, um, the handful. There were a couple early. I haven't looked at his most recent ones. Um, I haven't been very good about the box scores lately, but um, there were a couple for sure that he went 0 for 4 with three or four strikeouts. And it's you're like, okay, well, he earned himself a start and look at what he did with the start. So then you go back to Aguilar kind of as your default. Um, but I think that as he gets more comfortable uh, or as he earns himself you know, those additional starts, I think he'll kind of get back into the groove that he was in last year when he hurt his hand uh, or hurt his thumb and had to go on the disabled list and open the door for Aguilar in the first place. So, yeah, the, I think those two guys working together is what makes the most sense for the team. Um, if you can have one guy just take over and run with it like Aguilar did first half of 2018, then that's for the betterment of everybody. But I think that they had those two guys at the start of 2018 uh, in a platoon for a reason. I think it's a benefit to both of them if that works out and if the Brewers can reap the benefits of the increased production by a, a successful platoon. Uh, again, that's, that's what's best for everybody. It's best for the bottom line of wins. And uh, hopefully, like I said, everybody can, can reap those benefits uh, you know, throughout the course of the season. When the Brewers open the season with three relatively young guys in the rotation, and especially young from an experience standpoint, Brandon Woodruff's a little bit of an older guy, but he doesn't have a ton of major league experience. 
we knew it was going to be a roller coaster. We knew there was going to be ups and downs. There was going to be some really good moments, some not-so-good moments. Guys were probably going to have some visits to the minor leagues at some point during this entire thing, but it was about giving these guys that opportunity to be in the rotation and watch them develop at the major league level. We've seen Peralta get a little bit banged up. He'll probably end up uh, having some rehab starts at AAA. Corbin Burns has been sent down to try to fix some things. Brandon Woodruff has probably been the best of the three, but he had, he struggled on, on Sunday. It It's kind of frustrating because I feel like we knew there was going to be ups and downs and it was just something that you live with for the greater good so the team can be its best possible self by the time the season comes to an end. Yet there's so many people out there that are incredibly critical. And I'm mean, and i not talking about the people who are out there saying, you know, maybe they should assign one more veteran pitcher to hedge bets and things like that. But, but the people out there who, you know, none of these guys should have an opportunity. What are they doing? That, that sort of attitude doesn't make sense to me because – these guys need to develop. These guys need to get be given that opportunity. Where are you at right now with these uh, with these young guys and the trials and tribulations that they are currently going through? That other perspective, because you have an offseason where you had Yasmani Grandal, right, and you unfortunately suffer some you know hits in your bullpen with Campbell going down for the, the season is a big, big one. But then you have Mark Adonazio say that we're all in this season. You know we'll. We've got money for moves at the trading deadline if we're in position to do so. You know, this, that, you're waiting on a guy like Keston Hira to come up and hopefully jolt this offense and you know be a you know multi-year type player for the Brewers. You've got all these things on the horizon, and fans want wins. They want success. They want it all immediately. They don't want to wait for development. They don't want to wait for Corbin Burns didn't start a game in the big leagues last year. Um, they don't want to have him go through you know those growing pains. They don't want Brandon Woodruff to have big innings and have to learn how to overcome them. They want him to just be lights out and hit homers every single game. You know, Freddie Peralta. If you look at his season last year, he had some amazing singular moments and put together a couple of stretches of really good stuff, really good starts, I should say, with his good stuff. But then you had some of those downs where he got roughed up, where his fastball command was all over the place, and he walked a bunch of guys. So they absolutely need to pitch, to experience these situations, to learn how to overcome them, so that, like you said, for the greater good. Once these guys are developed, once these guys have gotten a little bit closer to their ceiling, then it's going to be for the betterment. And if April has to be rough, and even a little bit of May has to be rough. But by August, these guys are, are firing the ball and, and going six strong, sometimes seven or eight on a given night. Uh, that is what you want out of a rotation. You want guys that keep the bullpen fresh. You want guys that take the pressure off the offense. You want starting pitching that gives you a chance to win every single time they are on the hill. And, yeah, there's going to absolutely be rough patches and learning experiences. But, again... Fans don't want to deal with that. And to a, a degree, if you're, you know, John Fan who buys his tickets and goes to the bleachers to have a couple of, of pops and you're taking a, the first open roof game on a Sunday afternoon, you don't want Brandon Woodruff to struggle and walk a couple of guys and give up some home runs to the L.A. Dodgers, even if they're one of the best offensive uh, teams in baseball. 
you want Brandon Woodruff to go out there and throw six scoreless with eight strikeouts and no walks and a couple of hits. So you have to, you know, that step back, I'm not saying you, Matt, but in general, you have to kind of take that step back and understand, you know, that's where that passion's coming from, I think, with fans that, that don't want to give chances. But, you know, like I said, I'm totally on your side with this. Those guys need their uh, their moments. They need to struggle. They need to learn how to deal with that struggle, just like they did on the way up through the minor leagues. Freddie Peralta didn't spend a lot of time in the minor leagues. You know, he's still very young. Corbin Burns got to double A super quick uh, and, of course, made his debut in the bullpen last year, which is that's the other thing people are saying. Why did they mess with it? Just put him back in the bullpen. And I, I was telling people on Twitter the other day, um, I, I don't know how to tell you this, guys, but fastball is located where he's locating them, especially with the balls that are apparently uh, hopped mm-hmm. up on, uh, you know, uh, jumping beans again. You know, those are still going to be home runs, whether they're in the bullpen or not. So that's so what you got to do is, you know, take it what you can, you know, give these guys a chances to fail and give these guys the chance to overcome them. And that's the thing I'm worried about the most with Corbin Burns is that they say the, um, the baseball now at triple a is the same ball in the big leagues. So if it is the ball, that's the problem for Burns. Um, it's going to have some of the same problems down at triple a. Fortunately, as he learns to overcome those struggles and if he gets through them in triple a, then it's not hurting the win-loss record of the Brewers, uh, and hopefully you can come back up and contribute wins in the rotation again. But again, it, it's one of those things where, they, and I know I'm repeating myself a little bit, but they absolutely need to be given those opportunities to learn how to overcome the problems. Um, personally, I think I would have given Corbin Burns another start in the big leagues, but at the same time, he would have faced the Cardinals right away again, who struggled against, I think, twice this year now. So that could have been part of the reason to send him down when they did. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not the manager of the team, of course. Um, and I'm glad for a lot of reasons that I, I don't have that kind of pressure, but uh, you've got to give these guys a chance. And council knows that he defended Burns several times and all these guys. He's always been a good defender of his players, but he said, you know, he's, if you, what he said specifically about Burns, I think two starts ago is that if you give this guy a chance to develop and with the stuff that he's got, it's going to be so much better on the other end that you deal with some of the struggles now. It's almost not fair to Corbin Burns that he did come up as a relief pitcher last year because if if he just comes up as a starter this year and never makes his major league debut last year and never has success in the bullpen and everything else happens, uh, people are frustrated, but they kind of just accept it that this guy is a starter and he's got a, you know, it's kind of viewed the same way Freddie Peralta is viewed maybe, but because he had success in the bullpen, people have seen him be successful there. So there's this knee jerk reaction to, oh, well, he has to be a bullpen guy. And I feel right. like there's something is lost in there where people don't understand for, for Corbin Burns to be his best self, he's got to be a starting pitcher. It just might take a little while to get there. Yeah, and I think. To that end, I think people are also looking at the Josh Hader situation. That we they were told constantly by the team, Josh Hader might start down the road. He, maybe he'll start uh, season, next season. Okay, no, we're going to keep Hader in the bullpen because that's where he's best. It was basically what they, the team ended up getting down to. And yeah, you'd like Hader to be able to go three days in a row all the time, but that's not him. So there's still that protection factor of his arm. So. There are, I'm sure there are people that think, oh, maybe he can still start one day if they need to not pitch him every every other day. But 
Yeah, I think people see that situation where they were told this guy's going to be in the bullpen because that's where he's best, and they see, well, Corbin Burns was really damn good in the bullpen. Maybe that's where he's his best. Uh, so I think it's a natural uh, knee-jerk reaction, like you said. But yeah, it's it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit ironic that he had so much success in the bullpen. I think he was seven and zero in relief, and maybe even with one more win in the playoffs last year in relief, and now he's zero and two as a starter. So. That's baseball for you in a nutshell. Uh, but, it's again, it's one of those things that once he gets back up here, I think it's going to be better for him. All right, last thing for you, prediction time. Gio Gonzalez, um, uh, Craig Kimbrell, Dallas Keuchel. Do any of them end up being Brewers at any point in time this year? Um, if the Brewers are going to make a move in the starting rotation – I think it's going to be for Gio Gonzalez before it'll be for Dallas Keuchel, uh, which is sort of a non-answer answer. Um, I think Gio liked it here, sees the opportunity here that currently exists with a minor league guy coming up on uh, you know tomorrow's game in Adrian Hauser, Chase Anderson getting another start um, that council committed to later this week. Uh, so I think he sees opportunity right now with one guy in the uh, Corbin Burns in the, the minors and Freddie Peralta injured. Jimmy Nelson's still not back yet. Still not even out on rehab assignment yet officially. So he could come back here. And again, I think if the Brewers are going to do something in the rotation, it just feels like they may go that way because Gio Gonzalez will be significantly cheaper than even a one-year deal for Dallas Keuchel at this point. Um, all that said, I don't know if they actually pull that trigger. I don't know if maybe Gio Gonzalez goes someplace else because, look, if Gonzalez comes here and Corbin Burns comes back and is awesome and then Freddie Peralta gets healthy, then what does that leave Gio Gonzalez to do? I think he wants to start games. So maybe he'll find an opportunity with the Mets, uh, you know, someplace else that's uh, rumored to also be needing a starting pitcher that doesn't want to spend in Dallas Keiko. Um, I think if the Brewers are going to spend big money, it will be – uh, for Craig Kimbrell type, if they can do a short-term deal, uh, unfortunately, I've not I've not heard any sort of uh, whispers or conversations about it, anything to that end. But I also think that David Stearns is constantly analyzing, evaluating, and you know putting together his his next move. Whether that's bringing in somebody from the outside who's still a free agent that's a big-time name, or if it's a move like Gio Gonzalez, I think that of course Stearns is always looking to better the team in the areas that he sees room for improvement. Uh, so I think we need we do need to trust in Stearns, as I think we all kind of do at this point. Yes, he's had a couple of flubs like any general manager would and probably should. If you don't make mistakes, that means you're not making moves. So I think we'll see whatever move that they may or may not make, which doesn't answer your question. Um, I think that it's a move that we can view as, you know, with – you know, cautious optimism that it's going to be the right move in the end. So do they, any of those three uh, wear Brewers uniform? If I had to put money down on it, I'd say no, uh, just because where we're at now, they haven't moved on two of them. And yes, Gonzalez may come available uh, here officially. Is that end of the day today on Sunday? Is that when his? I thought he had to uh, at so some point on Monday, but I, I might be wrong. It's Monday at the latest. Yeah, so if he actually becomes a free agent, then who knows? So, you know, at least he's been pitching. You know, he's been active in games in, in AAA with uh, the Yankees. Uh, was at Scranton Wilkes-Barre, I think. So the fact that he's been up to speed, maybe the Brewers 
take him, uh, you know, even if it's a short-term deal, like, hey, Gio, come in for a couple of starts. We'll see where you're at and make more decisions later. Um, but again, if I had to put money down, I'd say none of those three probably were Brewers uniform in uh, 2019. He is Adam Rigg. You can uh, read him on Twitter at Brewer Nation. He is the Brewer Nation. Adam, it's always good to uh, catch up. Thanks again for doing this on uh, Easter Sunday, and I'm sure we'll be doing this again very, very soon. All right, Matt. Thank you for having me again. Happy Easter to everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Range, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. As we do go down on the farm, very happy to welcome on to the podcast for the first time this year. He is the broadcaster for uh, the Biloxi Shuckers, the AA affiliate of the Brewers. It is Garrett Green. Garrett, always great to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing well, Matt. Thanks, sir. How are you today? Doing good. Uh, we are recording this on Easter Sunday, so happy Easter to you, and uh, appreciate you taking uh, some time. And we'll get uh, we'll get right into it. Looking back at uh, the game on Sunday, a five nothing shutout for the Shuckers over Jacksonville, where from a pitching standpoint, Trey Supak goes out there seven scoreless, four hits, five strikeouts, one walk. He drops his ERA to one point five two. Uh, I was going to lead off no matter what with Supak with you because he's the uh, top prospect as far as uh, prospects on the Shuckers roster, but uh, what a day to talk about him. That's a pretty spectacular performance from him. Yeah, he's turned in two exceptional outings this week. Uh, Today was more of the same. You know, he got into a little bit of a jam early on in the game. Actually had the bases loaded with one gone, but... He's just found a way to get his done. He got a 6-4-3 double play after that. Got out of the inning unscathed and then gave up a, a two-out double to a guy in the fifth. Gave out a one-out single in the third, but uh, that runner was canceled out on a caught stealing. And he really settled into cruise control. We had a chance to talk to him after the game. And he said, because he know, to be completely honest, I didn't have the best feel for all of my pitches today. He was like curveball. I just couldn't you know, really find it and locate it. The way he described it was that it was kind of shaky today, which, thinking back on it, you could see that he was trying to drop it in front door to right-handed hitters, and it was missing in around their hands. So the great thing about Trey, and I think what shows his maturity, is he knew he didn't have a feel for it today, so he just scrapped it, worked his slider a little bit more, really worked his changeup, uh, and, and used his fastball, which has looked really good all season long, uh, early in the going, to, to come away with a great outing. And this is the second one of the week for him. I really think it's Sunday. We should know tomorrow. I really think he's probably going to take home Southern League Pitcher of the Week honors. Uh, his other outing that he had earlier in the week was against a guy who, uh, you know, for folks who don't keep up with the farm system as much, learn this name, Bruce Star Gratterall. He's the number three prospect in the Twins organization. He's a tall right-hander uh, who throws gas. He throws his fastball anywhere from 97 to 100 miles an hour. And he has a nasty 90- to 92-mile-an-hour slider that he used. And he and Shupak went out and dealt against each other on Tuesday night earlier this week. It might be the best pitch game that I've seen in this league in a year and some change uh, from both sides. They each threw three perfect innings. And so Trey went toe-for-toe with one of the best prospects in all of baseball. uh, And it's just looked really sharp this year. Uh, One final stat on him. 19 innings pitched at MGM Park this year. He hasn't allowed an earned run. So he's come back to double A, and right now with the way that he's pitching, 
I don't think that he's going to be here for very long. Uh, I know that it depends on making space for him at the next level, but he is really pitching well early in the season for Biloxi. I want to kind of follow up on something you said because I judge pitchers a lot. I judge pitchers on a lot of things, but one of the things I really judge a pitcher on is when what they look like when they don't when they're not their best. If they what a bad day looks like, and if a bad day looks good, that's good. And you talked about some things not working for him today, so he just kind of scrapped a pitch and went other ways. You, you see major league pitchers with the ability to do that. You see, you know, veteran guys at AAA being able to do that. What does it say about a young guy being able to make that in-game adjustment where a pitch that is a big-time part of what he likes to do isn't working, so he's able to just kind of adjust on the fly and still throw seven shutout innings? I think maturity is a big word, and I also think just an understanding of the game is also what it shows for Trey. Uh, people forget he's 22. Um, you know, he's in his he's in his sixth professional season since he's a high school guy, but you know, he's still a young guy. But I think it shows that he's really, especially since his move up to the Double A level, figured out that it's not just blowing the ball by guys; it's figuring out how to really pitch, pick your spots. And, and understand and have a feel for what you're doing. Uh, in the Southern League playoffs last year, we had a game in Pensacola where he walked six guys in three innings, but he only gave up one run in those three innings worth of work. And, you know, we talked to him afterwards, and the mound had been taken out and put back in. And so, you know, it had, it had chunked a little bit, but and we gave him the option to use that as, as something for a reason for why his performance had been the way it was. He said, no. That's not it at all. I just didn't have a feel for it, but he knows, and, and we've heard from him time and time again that when something's not working, you just have to find a way to figure out what you can do to get out and use your defense behind you. You don't always have to strike guys out, and I think it really speaks to a level of maturity that he has. You know, after he was added to the 40-man roster this offseason, views himself as a leader on this team and also understands that as uh, being on the 40-man roster now, the possibility to go up to Milwaukee really exists there for him. Do they keep uh, Adrian Hauser is going to start on Monday, and there's always that trickle-down effect, and I don't know what all the moves are going to be made, but when you get to double-A, you mentioned, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that guys make that double-A to the big league jump, but if there is a move at the major leagues, there is a trickle-down effect that very often does impact the double-A team as well. Do you think guys are are taking note of that, especially somebody like him, that, okay, somebody from San Antonio is going up to the big league, so that's going to open up a uh, possibility there? I think so. Um, guys, especially in an age of, uh, you know, I know it's a cliche, but in an age of social media, guys know what's going on. They're not having to, you know, read the paper uh, and find out what's happening at the major league organization or wait to get reports. They're getting on Twitter and Instagram, and they're seeing guys who you know they were in the clubhouse with at big league camp, and uh, they've been teammates with over the course of the years, and, and they see what's happening at the top level of the organization. And, and I think that it's a message that Mike Guerrero and Chucky Caulfield and everybody on this staff has repeatedly put out there to guys that you are one phone call away at Double A from being able not just to move up to San Antonio, but also come up and pitch in the big leagues, and especially for a Brewers squad that, again, this year is going to be right in the big, thick middle of it. They're just looking for guys who can contribute, and if if the front office for the Brewers feels like you can contribute, they've shown that they're not afraid 
to pull a guy up and give him a chance. Um, but I think we saw the trickle-down effects from Hauser coming up uh, already with Thomas Jenkins being promoted on Friday. Okay. He's going up there to join the starting staff. But um, like I said, there's there's going to be another move at some point this year. So I'm just enjoying watching Trey pitch as long as we have him here. All right, let's get to some of the other guys. Uh, we're kind of going through the, the top 30 guys who are on the roster. And Braden Webb's number 12. Unfortunately, his numbers don't look good right now. 0-3, 9.95 ERA. Uh, he's given up nine runs, seven earned on eight hits, and six and a third innings. Uh, hasn't pitched a lot, uh, obviously, in those six and a third, even though all of his appearances have been starts. So what's going on right now with Webb? You know, right now, I think that he's just still trying to get into the groove for the early season. Everybody that I've talked to, Bob Malachi, our pitching coach here in Biloxi, he was with him last year in Carolina, and he said, look, Brayden did the exact same thing last year. He just kind of started out slow, had to figure out a couple of different things, figure out what was working for him, and find a way to, to round it to form that we saw at the end of last season when he pitched to a one eight zero ERA when he was here with the Shuckers and his move up. So I think that he's still just working out a couple of things. Um, the fastball life hasn't been the same as what we saw at the end of last season. The command isn't there yet as well right now. Uh, and I don't, But I know in speaking with Brayden, there's no one who's more frustrated about that right now than he is. Um, so we're going to get to see him tomorrow night and see if over the last couple of days, continuing to work, continuing to get a feel for things, if that's improved for him and if it's just, you know, early season malaise that he's trying to work his way out of uh, to get rolling again for Biloxi. But, um, you know, it, it's been a case where his pitch count has just climbed in the first couple of innings. Uh, he's, he's not generating as many swings and misses right now. Uh, and he's obviously the walks are up for him. But I think that it's just trying to figure out what's working for you early in the season and, you know, we talked about Trey being a guy who, who has figured out how to do that. But Trey's also in his, in his sixth pro season, and Brayton's just taken in 2016. Uh, this is just his third year because he started playing in 2017. So he's still trying to work through those things at the AA level. Let's jump to the next top 30 guy and another pitcher, uh, Marcos Dipline. He's somebody who, uh, his last time out was probably his best appearance, four and two-thirds innings, two runs on seven hits. Uh, did that against uh, Jacksonville uh, yesterday. Uh, is that a, How much of a step forward was that for him, considering the fact that his ERA was above eight going into uh, yesterday's game? Yeah, I, I think it was a big step for Marcos yesterday. And what the, the box score doesn't tell you is that he had two outs in the fifth inning and then gave up a bouncing ball up the middle um, that, you know, slides out into the outfield and and puts a guy on base. Guy steals second, and then there's a double out to deep left field. That scores a run, and then an error lets the guy come in and score as well. And so just... A tough day because he was right there on the precipice of making it through five innings and, and being able to, you know, notch that up, maybe be able to qualify for the win. But we saw him in his start before this last one, after he kind of struggled in the first inning, put together a stretch where, you know, he retired eight batters in a row and really dug himself out of it. He made it four and two-thirds in that start as well. So it's encouraging for him. Uh, Marcos is uh, he is one of the supremely talented pitchers in the Brewers organization, and when he is fully locked in and everything is working, he is nearly unhittable. Um, that's a guy who can command a mid-90s fastball on both sides of the plate. 
He's got a devastating slider. I I graded as a plus slider for him. He's got a plus changeup, and then he's got a curveball that he can mix in as well. And when it's all clicking on all cylinders, it's really impressive to watch. But I think he's also just in that stage right now where early in the season he's trying to figure out what's working for him, trying to find the zone, and and ultimately you can hope that you know the suckers wind up getting a win in that start. He doesn't factor in the decision, but that he can use that and get on a roll because um, they're going to need help from their starting staff moving forward. When things are going wrong at the big league level, fans will go look at stats at AAA and even AA and find a guy and say, hey, when is this guy going to be here? And I got one of those text messages on my postgame show maybe a week, week and a half ago. I got the, when is Nate Greep going to be pitching in Milwaukee? And my answer was probably not for a while, but that being said, uh, he's somebody who's closing out games right now, four saves and four save opportunities, a 2.35 ERA. His numbers look fantastic. Uh, talk to me about this guy. I have to be honest. Look, I have an immense amount of respect for, for the Brewers organization, and, and I love working with everybody there. I I cannot fathom why this guy is back here at AA this year. Um, I the, the reason that I imagine is because the ERA was a little high last year, and the walk-to-strikeout ratio isn't quite what you want it to be. However, he just has it. He just gets it done. It, when it's the ninth inning and it's close, it's not always going to be pretty. It's not going to be a Josh Hader, strike him out on 11 pitches, close it down, and three outs. He might walk a guy. He might hit a guy. There might be a guy who gets on with a double. But when you need it the most, he always comes through in the clutch. He's got 38 saves in his career here now in Biloxi, all-time franchise leader. And it's just rinse-repeat this season again. Um, like I said, my best guess is that the Brewers wanted to send him back here. They wanted to give him a chance to maybe be a multiple innings guy this year, so that way they can see how he stretches out to maybe translate to that six, seven, eight. Where if you need to bring a guy in and bridge the gap, he has the chance to. Um, but he, in my eyes, he's done everything to prove that he belongs at the next level, at the very least, at AAA. Um, after coming back and pitching for us again this year, but hey. I'm not going to complain to have the guy who you know has been top two in all of minor league baseball and saves each of the last two seasons just hanging out in your bullpen every night. Uh, but I certainly think that that Nate has uh, has proven everything that he needs to and should certainly get a chance at the next level very soon. Last pitcher I'll ask you about before we go to uh, some position players is the guy who closed out the game uh, today Sunday, uh, Devin Williams. 2-1, and one, 2.70 ERA. There's a lot of people who are excited about this guy. Yeah, they should be. And, and he's one of those guys, I, I kind of group him in like a Tyrone Taylor. Um, you know, he's, he's a little bit older now, and he's one of those has-been prospects. You know, a guy who was in the top 10 and then had Tommy John surgery. And so you have that, you fall out of the prospect rankings. Um, but I really like what I've seen out of Devin so far. Uh, and, you know, obviously last season when he came back from Tommy John and was pitching at high A in Carolina, they had him start, but they never had him throw more than three in the third innings. Now he's acting as an extended reliever, and he's looked really good every time that he's come out of the bullpen. You can count on him for uh, a couple of innings. He's, he's thrown three and a third at one point this year. Uh, he had an appearance this season where he walked six guys in his first double A outing, but very similar to what I talked about with Shupak, 
you found a way to only give up one run over the course of, you know, walking six guys in and out, and he got a couple of double plays when he needed them. He's looked good on his feet defensively as well. Um, and honestly, two of the earned runs that he's given up this year, it was when we were against Montgomery, and they had a guy who hit a ball that was shoulder high off the plate outside, and he hit it for an opposite field home run. He switched out and tomahawked it. Um, and I know I've talked to them. Their broadcaster, and he, ta- he chatted with him afterwards. He said, look, I just wasn't going on without swinging at something, and he just happened to catch a piece of it. So Williams has looked really impressive uh, with everything he's done, and I, I think that now that it- he's one of those guys who he knows what his role is going to be, he's going to be a reliever, he's going to be a- an extended, long relief kind of guy, and uh, I think that if he doesn't find his way back into the prospect rankings, he should still be a guy that can be viewed as a good option in a year or two, maybe three, depending on how uh, you know his development comes along, where he could be a viable piece of a bullpen. From a position player standpoint, only one top 30 guy right now. There's certainly some interesting guys on this team, to say the least. But when you look at the MLB pipeline, just the one top 30 guy in Trent Grisham, and he's somebody who's kind of seen his stock go up and down there's been a lot that's gone on with him hitting 197 through 16 games yeah there's been that kind of the the book on him is a guy who's still trying to figure it out kind of going into the season and it seems like there's some truth to that well you're probably right on that look when uh, when camp broke and they got here the first five games of the season he was as locked in as anybody on the staff uh, and, and, you know, this season, he's closed up his stance a little bit. I think he's standing a little bit closer to the plate. He's changed his angle. He's another guy who, a, another year older, I think that seeing what Corey Ray was able to do last year with the routine and the method that he went about his business uh, has really helped him. But there are also times where I think that, and, and I haven't spoken to him about this, but I need to ask him, I think that his understanding of the strike zone works to his detriment sometimes because he has such a perfect understanding of where the strike zone is on the plate. He's got such a good eye. That's why his arm base percentage has been really good each of the last two seasons. That sometimes when you have a double-A umpire behind home plate who doesn't have that exact same box as you, it can work against you. So that outside edge of the zone starts to expand, and I think there's some frustration that's there, so then he winds up reaching for things. Um, you know, blown away from a left-handed in a lefty-lefty matchup, but he he certainly has gone through ups and downs already in this season. Uh, but you can see the flash of potential defensively. He's as solid of, a, of an outfielder as they come, and has just a cannon of an arm, which I think gets you know left off because everybody can only see batting averages and strikeouts and, and home runs and things along those lines. But defensively. The way that he plays is an asset that is certainly also there. It's just piecing it all together at the plate that's the big thing for him. Uh, and I think we'll see him go through peaks and valleys this season, and uh, we'll, we'll just find out which one is higher for that. CJ Inhosa uh, came over in the Eric Kratz trade, and I, I kind of got the sense when that trade was made, a lot of Brewers fans thought, 
okay, this was the Brewers just getting something for Kratz because he wasn't going to make the Major League roster, so just getting something is better than just letting the guy go. Uh, so far, so good. 15 games, 304 average. I mean, so uh, oh, I don't think a lot of Brewers fans know a lot about this guy and just kind of viewed him as a, as a throw-in. What have you seen from him? Well, so I was excited when the Brewers made the trade. little bit about me. So I went to the University of Texas, and when I was at UT, rounding out my career there, and then working in Austin for the first couple of years of Sports Talk Radio, CJ was actually a member of the Walmart. He went to Texas and went to school there. So I kept up with his career as he was going along and saw him as a college player, as a college shortstop there in Texas. And when I heard that the Brewers got him back for Eric Kratz, I was actually really excited, not just because I was going to have a guy from my alma mater at the clubhouse, but because of the, the players that they got in him, he puts together competitive at-bats. He can hit the ball to all fields. Um, he's dropped down a couple of RBI singles each of the last two days that have been you know, shots right over first base that have dropped down and rolled through the right field line. He's got good speed, and now the biggest thing is he's also got versatility up the middle. He can play second and short, and even he's played third a little bit for us as well. So uh, when you talk about a utility infielder, he can play all the way across those positions. He's a guy who hits for average. He's incorporated, you know, a new leg kick this year, and I think we're seeing the fruits of that. He's, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, a 15-20 home run kind of guy, but for a middle infielder who can spray the ball over the yard uh, and do anything you need to shift him around, especially in National League Rules Baseball, I think he's going to be a good player to have gotten back. And, and it might not be that he is a, a big-time major league contributor, and obviously the Brewers have their shortstop and, and Orlando Arcia, probably their, their second baseman of the future in Kess and Nira. But as someone who could fill in the gaps for, for the Major League Club and bounce up and down between AAA and, and the big leagues, I think that that option is still open for CJ. Since you brought up Texas baseball, Kansas State took two of three from them last weekend, so I'm just throwing <laughs> that out there at you. But Trust we'll, me, it's okay. I've heard about it from Nate already, too. We'll move on. Uh, Dylan Thomas, uh, again, I, I love – I love rosters like this. It, and, and last year with the Timber Rattlers, it was kind of the same thing where there weren't a ton of prospects, but there were a lot of interesting guys. And those that's my favorite thing to see uh, when when guys who maybe there are not a ton of expectations are able to play really well and put put a spotlight on themselves. And I'm not trying to make too much out of the first two weeks of the season, but so far it seems like Dylan Thomas is doing that. No, Dylan has been excellent, uh, and and you know he comes in. He's one of those guys who, I think, he just got caught in the wash uh, a couple of off seasons ago when you see guys like Jake Arietta who still had to sign, and you see guys at the big league level, excuse me, that were still looking for major league contracts. Well, there are minor league guys all around that, and as a result, aren't signed. So Dylan did what is the best move for your baseball career. Go to independent ball and just hit 333 with a with an independent league team that gets signed back again. And we saw him for a little bit at the end of the season last year. Came up and joined the Shuckers for the for the Southern League Championship Series. And I was impressed by him then. And, and even now, he's a guy who's got sneaky pop in his bat. He chokes up on the handle a whole lot, but still generates a ton of power. He can hit the ball to all fields. Um, we saw in our game against Pensacola earlier this week a case where the count went to two strikes on him, and the Blue Wahoos shifted everybody to the right side of the infield. Very next pitch, 
fastball outer edge. Dylan just pokes it. It would have been an easy ground out for short, but no one's standing there. He's got a great understanding of how to hit the ball to all fields. And the other thing about him, too, is that for as big of a player as he is, he is very quick. Um, he's got excellent quickness. That's why he's already got a couple of triples this season. Um, and also, when he gets on base, uh, our coaching staff always makes the joke that you give him the time, what time for what the pitchers, you know, wide to home is. And the very next one, you turn it around to get something from the, from the dugout. You look back and Dylan's already taken off for second. Um, so he's always looking for opportunities to get extra bases. And he's just a hustle guy. And you can tell that he's gotten another opportunity with an organization and he's trying to make the most of it. Before I get you out of here, and the team batting average 235, just three players with batting averages above 300. The two guys we mentioned, uh, Michael O'Neill hitting 306, and we'll probably talk about him more in a, in a future conversation. But maybe for Brewers fans who are not real familiar with the minor league system or just kind of learning about the Brewers, I know a lot of people who are kind of just jumping in, especially after the run that the team made last year and are just finding this podcast. Can you uh, talk to fans a little bit about uh, the league the ballpark and how that impacts averages, ERAs, what and what people should make of maybe when you see a low batting average, if it's maybe not completely indicative of how well somebody's playing or uh, a low ERA, something like that. Yeah, so, I mean, down here in the Southern League, we're playing the Southeast, and so we've got teams like Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, and Tennessee. Um, we mostly play the teams who are located in Alabama, Mississippi, and Florida. We make the trip up to Tennessee a couple of times for Chattanooga, Knoxville, uh, and also Jackson. But, you know, the, the ball can certainly be uh, a little bit heavier here sometimes, but I think I saw a stat from somebody who saw that said that MGM Park last year had the fourth most home runs hit at it in all of minor league baseball, which I would have assumed there were at least six parks in the California League that would have taken that title in front of us. Uh, to be fair, we also had a team that hit 145 home runs last year with the likes of Kate Gatewood and Corey Ray and Stokes Jr. and Lucas Ersig and all those kinds of guys. Uh, so that, that doesn't do anything to hurt you either. But um, we've seen at our ballpark where um, you know we're right there, uh, not just on the banks of the Gulf of Mexico, the Mississippi Sound as we call it down here because of the inlet that we have, um, but we also have the Boa Lodge Casino out beyond the right field wall, and it creates this really weird swirling wind that happens in the ballpark. And so some days you'll have the breeze gusting strong out to right field. Other days it'll be going from right to left, and it creates a jet stream, which when Wade Miley made a rehab appearance with the Shuckers last year, he fell victim to it uh, against Montgomery because, you know, it was like a guy would just poke a ball out to left. You'd think that it was going to be a mid-range fly, and then instead it was carrying over the wall. So all those kinds of factors can, can change things out. I'll also say that, um, you know, we had five games against the Montgomery Biscuits. They're the double-A club for the Tampa Bay Rays. They have some really good pitching prospects in that organization, and they have some pretty good hitters. I think they're going to be a really good team. And then also we play five games against Pensacola, and the first four guys that they roll out in their starting rotation are all studs. They are all really good pitchers that they have. Um, so we went back-to-back against a pair of really good teams. So I think that as, as the competition evens out and as guys start to get a feel, guys aren't pressing as much because the wins are starting to come down. We've won three in a row. Um, 
And, and, you know, guys, we've got plenty of free agents this season as well. It's not all top prospects like we have last season. Uh, but guys not pushing as much because they're saying, this is my one chance I have to put up big numbers. But when they start letting the game come to them, we'll see things even out a little bit more for the Shuckers this season. Garrett, if folks want to listen to your broadcast for home games, check it out on uh, MILB TV. Just uh, direct folks on how they can consume Biloxi Shuckers baseball. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, I don't think that our flagship station uh, signal reaches all the way up there to Wisconsin. So, uh, folks can always go to TuneIn Radio and listen to us there. Um, we're also on the MILB First Pitch app. Um, the First Pitch app is free to download, um, and it's free to listen to any of the games. Um, obviously, MILB.TV is a subscription-based thing, but uh, you can use the promo code SHUCKERS, and you can save $10 off of your subscription there. We have an HD feed this year, uh, and there's there's broadcasts all around the league. I think there are only uh, two parks in our entire league that don't have MILB.TV, so you always have the option to watch wherever guys are playing. Uh, but you can listen on TuneIn Radio. You can also go to BiloxiShuckers.com. Scroll down a little bit, and there's a, a banner for the radio network. If you click on it, it takes you right to the radio link, and you can tune into us. Uh, we're very fortunate. We travel with the team, so we've got radio all 140 games for the season, uh, and we've got video every game that we're at home. He is Garrett Green. Follow him on Twitter as well. Somehow I wasn't following you, Garrett. I just fixed that, though, so that's a good thing. Uh, follow him. He's at he's at Garrett underscore Green. Garrett, two R's, two T's. Uh, green with an E. There's lots of letters in there. He'd be good on Wheel of Fortune. Garrett, thank you so much for your time. Matt, thank you, sir. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Looking forward to talking again soon. Garrett Green joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. That's just about going to do it for uh, the program this week. Taking a look at what's going to be coming up. And let me remind you of this very quickly. Uh, we are in Bucks playoff season right now, Fear the Deer. And when the Bucks have a playoff game at the same time as a Brewers game, the Brewers get moved to a different radio signal. So they come off of 620 WTMJ, and they move over to our sister station, 94.5 ESPN-FM. So a couple things on that. First off, it's awesome to be able to uh, put them onto a sports station now. That's part of uh, everything that is uh, new with some of the changes that have happened uh, at WTMJ under uh, Good Karma Brands, which is awesome. And just from a personal standpoint, and I hope that uh, you partake in this, uh, in the past when 94.5 was not a sports station but was a country music station, we would put the Brewers games over there in a situation like this, and then the game would get over and they would go back to playing country music. Well, now that they're a sports station, it makes a little bit more sense to do uh, my post-game show, Brewers Extra Innings. So when the Brewers games are over on 94.5 FM, stick around as you would do on WTMJ as the, uh, as the, as the broadcast wraps up, and we will have Brewers Extra Innings coming your way. So uh, that's something a little bit different, and it's cool, and it makes me very happy. On the schedule this week, three games against the Cardinals. Are you sick of seeing the Cardinals yet, the opening series of the year, a four-game series, then a three-game series this past week, and now another three-game series in St. Louis going Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Monday and Tuesday games will uh, get started at 6.45 and then on Wednesday at 12.15. Uh, so the, that Monday broadcast, that is going to be uh, on 94.5 ESPN-FM. 
and then Tuesday will be on WTMJ. Wednesday should be on WTMJ as well. You would think the Bucks will probably close this thing out in four days. I'm not completely sure what day uh, Game 5 would be uh, scheduled for if they were to lose Game 4, if it's going to be on Wednesday or Thursday. But it shouldn't really matter in terms of what uh, is going to happen to a Brewers game because Wednesday the Brewers play day game, and Thursday Brewers don't play at all. And then they head to New York for a weekend three-game set on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Once again, my appreciation to my guest this week, Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation, and Garrett Green, the broadcaster for the Biloxi Shuckers. We will talk to you again next week for another edition of the program, Brewers Extra Innings, powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.